You know, so many emotions go through my head when I watch that. And I just wonder if we could just capture the Father's voice right now, if he wouldn't look at each one of you and say some of the same things that Simon said to her. I think you are extraordinary in every way. That I made you and I fashioned you to be unique and to be special and to be different. And Jesus came with a kingdom initiative. And that initiative was that every single person on planet earth would understand what it means to be a child of the king. To walk in truth and power and grace and love. And you, like Ryan, you have things to overcome. They're different things. But all of us is the human factor in us. It makes us not perfect. It makes us have to reach for something and to find something to put our hands around. And God says, I'm it. I'm it. My mind finds it hard not to review the 19 months of history we have together as a church. And as I was walking through that building uh, yesterday and I was just marveling at, at really how fantastic the place is. And I could see people there in that coffee shop and in that worship center and that children's and students area and, and out on that loading dock and, and all those different dimensions that we have in that building. I could see people there connecting, loving, praying, encouraging one another in the power of the Spirit of God, and I knew it was all worth it. It's all worth it when you see what God can do in the life of a person. And we understand that what God has done in 19 months is not normal. The only explanation is God, God's favor and, and, and our willingness just to be used of him. It was really 19 months ago this Sunday that a handful of us really gathered together in a living room. We prayed and we sang a few songs and we had no money and no sound equipment. We had nothing. And I don't want to ever forget that. I don't want to ever get to the place where we think we've got something. I want us to stay hungry and stay thirsty for Almighty God. Some things God has taught us in this journey and he will teach us so much more. I feel like I've just joined up for kindergarten spiritually and God's just teaching me anew and afresh a lot of things. But here's one thing that we have learned is that Jesus, his message about the kingdom was never separated from his kingdom power. The message and power have to go together. When Paul came and he spoke to the Corinthians, he said, I did not come to you in eloquent words of wisdom, human wisdom, but I came to you in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power. We can never let the message we have of Christ be separated from the power of God. The other thing we've learned is to expect miracles. And whether that miracle takes on a physical dimension of someone being made well physically, spiritually, emotionally, or any other way, or whether that is a miracle of someone just saying, I feel led to give and to help. 
I looked back in some old notes and I was looking in December and, and I realized that we were in a really tough bind. We needed $300,000 in order to move forward with buying that building. And I didn't know where I was going to get it. And I, I didn't have a clue. And I got up just like I'm doing right now and I just said, we need $300,000. Does anyone have it? And everybody laughed. But we got the $300,000. And some of it came in in $5 increments and some of it came in in much larger. But it, it, the, the, the really key in that was we came to expect miracles. And I, I've just come to expect miracles. When this is all done, this project is all done, we're going to have, with all the renovation we've done, we're going to have a building that's worth about $4 million. In 21 or 20 months of our history, now, I don't know what that does for you, but that just blows my spiritual mind. Amen? And it's, yeah, let's give God the glory for that. So I need a miracle. I need $100,000. And I'm going to tell you what it's for. We need for chairs, for a coffee shop, for some video and sound, and for a children's playground. And we, if we... If we have those final, that final push here at the end, we're going to have everything we need in that building. We made a decision. I walked into the bathrooms. We were going to leave them. I walked in the bathrooms, and I go, it's not going to happen. I just made this decision yesterday. I looked at Mel, and I go, we've got to demo those buildings. They are ugly, nasty. They look like a post office. <laughs> so we're going to do it. We're just going to trust God to supply that need. The other thing we've learned is playing it safe is dangerous. If you live your life playing it safe, it is the most dangerous position you can be in the kingdom of God. Because God didn't start this whole process with something that was safe. He took human beings, he put them on planet earth and gave them the free will and he knew it was a dangerous proposition because he knew what they would do. But he also had a redemptive plan to bring them back into relationship and fellowship with him. Do not live your life safe for the kingdom of God. It's dangerous. The other thing we know is Jesus is not safe. He's just not safe. Disciples thought they had a good thing going, traveling around with this miracle worker, and all of a sudden they realized everyone hated him, wanted to crucify him, and they did. It's not safe to walk with Jesus. Everyone who hung out with him got in trouble. I mean, think of somebody who didn't. I hang out with Jesus, I get in trouble. People are going to push back. The other thing we've learned is sacrificial and spontaneous giving produces faith quickly in the life of a person. When Tammy and I were first married, and we really had very, very little, and we were going to take some students uh, to this camp in Texas, and I had $20 and a gas credit card. That's all I had. And I remember we were sitting in this service, and a guy was speaking. We just went to hear a guy speak, and, and it, that was my first mistake because I should have known God was going to pull on my heart. He got up, and he talked about his family and his kids and his needs and all of that, and I thought to myself, well, I need to help this guy. And so I reach in my wallet to double check, and sure enough, there was a $20 bill in there. 
And that's all I had for food to go from Louisiana to Texas. And a gas credit card. And I reached it out and I pulled it out of my wallet and I stuck it back in my wallet. I pulled it out again because I thought, I can't do this. And I looked over and Tammy gave me the look. That's all we have, look. And I go, I threw it in the plate. Next day, a guy walked up to me and he said, I know you're going to Texas. You probably don't have a lot of money. And God told me last night to give you $100. And he reached in his wallet and he handed me a Benjamin. I don't know if I ever owned one up to that point. (laughs) Is this real? Do they make them this big? And God supplied a need. Jesus encountered this man who the Bible describes as a rich man. And what's interesting is the dialogue that follows that encounter with this rich man who went away sad because he couldn't give up what he was trusting in to follow Jesus. So in Mark chapter 10 and verse 23, this is what the scripture says. He walked off and Jesus looked around. He was eyeing the crowd and he wanted to see the reaction, wanted to see what was going on. And he said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And his disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said unto them, Children, how hard is it for those who trust? And he changed it a little bit. The first time it was have riches, now it's trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And whether he was speaking in hyperbole about this eye and this camel and this needle, or whether he was speaking figuratively or literally, we get the message. There's some things that keep us out of the kingdom of God. As believers, there's some things that keep us out from tasting the powers of the kingdom of God. In verse 26, it says they were greatly astonished now. They'd gone from being shocked and astonished to greatly astonished, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? Is there anything left? But Jesus looked at them and said, with men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. And Peter began to say to him, see, we've left all and followed you. You know, Peter is the disciple with the foot-shaped mouth. Every time he opens his mouth, he's got something to say that not always works in his favor. I relate to this guy. Can you relate to this guy? So Jesus answered and said, assuredly, I say unto you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospel's who shall not receive a hundredfold in this time, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, and children, and lands. And then he added something here, with persecutions. You see, that goes with it. You hang out with Jesus, you're going to have some difficulty. You live for Jesus, you're going to have some difficulty. You're going to have blessing. You're going to have good. But it doesn't end your problems, especially if you live for him. And then it says, and in the age to come, eternal life. There's something you're going to get now. There's something you're going to get then. And then he says this, but many who are first 
will be last. In other words, he says, go ahead and take inventory of the world and see who's got it going the best for them, and they're probably going to be last in line. I think that's encouraging. I've always had this theory that, you know, in heaven, everything is kind of opposite. If you're skinny and trim and never had to fight fat, in heaven, you're going to be obese. (laughs) If you fought and, you know, you don't have any hair, you get a full head, and I'll be bald. Everything works the opposite. But here's what God wants us to know. The kingdom of God is different than this world. It's different from this world. It's different from what we expect. We kind of think, well, this is what I think God is like, and this is how his kingdom really operates, and it's different than that. It's also different from the way we think, act, and live. We're keeping the two grand boys, Crosby and Cruz. About midnight, I was up praying and doing a little reading, and all of a sudden I hear Crosby cry out, blood-curdling cry. Would have woken the dead, but it didn't wake Tammy. (laughs) I thought, let him cry a while. He'll wake her up. Finally, I had to go up and wake her up. I said, hey, Crosby's crying. (laughs) Oh, is he? I said, oh, yeah, he's been crying for like two hours. Well, why didn't you wake me? I said, just kidding, about 10 minutes. I thought he'd go back to sleep. So here she comes walking down the stairs, and he's, he's pointing over against in the other room, and he's just pointing. He wants something over there. And she's over there trying to rock him. I said, he doesn't want rocking. He doesn't want here. He wants something over there. Now, he doesn't know what it is, but he knows he wants it. And it was enough to say, I'm going to cry till you bring me downstairs, take me to that other room, and let me show you what it is. So there he is, rocking in her arm, and, and I thought, that's how we are. We, we cry out for answers for the hurt and the pain and the fear that we possess, and no one understands, and we point our finger. We think it's over there. We don't know what it is, but we think it's over there. And it wasn't until Tammy picked Crosby up, walked him into the other room, that he quit crying. You say, what did he want? Who knows? He didn't come back with anything. He didn't get anything. He didn't experience anything other than he wanted to go in that room for some reason. And I think there's something inside of us spiritually that wants to point and say, I'm not sure what it is, but when I have that experience with God, I'm going to know what it is. It's going to satisfy me because he didn't come back with a bottle, a toy, or anything else. He wanted to go over there. And I think when we start saying, God, I want to go, you're pulling me there. I want to go there with you spiritually. You see, there's something about the kingdom of God. The kingdom talks about this. This initiative is there's a principle of individual choice. Jesus said to him, how hard is it for the rich, those who have riches, to enter the kingdom of God? He talked about those who have riches, and that's what we possess. He said, you see, if you hold on to anything too long and too hard, you think it's yours. And that keeps you from the kingdom. Then he takes it to another level and he says, not only those who have riches, but those who trust in riches. So in other words, you can have a lot of stuff and not trust in it. You just have a lot of stuff and you like your stuff. But the next level of it is when you start trusting in your stuff versus trusting in God. And you really think that what you have is going to buy you future 
or buy you safety or security. But there is no security, there is no safety except in Jesus Christ himself. And then he goes to the next level, those who have riches, those who trust in riches, and then those who have camels. Those who have camels are in trouble because camels don't fit through the eye of a needle. Most people believe there was a small door in the walls of cities in that day and in Jerusalem that was big enough for a man, but it was just, it was not designed for a camel, and a camel could pass through it. But only if a camel, first of all, was unloaded of all of its goods and then dropped down to its knees and it would make its way through the eye of a needle. And it's the idea that if you have camels and you have all this stuff and you're carrying it around and you feel really good about it, he says, you've got to take that out of your life. You've got to humble yourself and get down on your knees if you're going to get through the eye of the needle. He was speaking to the conscience of every man, every woman. He was saying, some of you have and some of you trust and some of you have camels that you've got to unload. Listen to what Jesus said about the kingdom. He said in Matthew 6, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things that you need will be added unto you. In Matthew 12, 28, he said, but if I cast out demons by the spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. He said, he said, you know, you think this is an unusual thing that's going on here, but there is a spiritual world here, and you think somehow that this doesn't fit into your cup, but I want you to know the kingdom of God shows up when the miraculous takes place. Mark chapter 10 and verse 15, he says, assuredly, I say unto you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. Then he spoke to a guy by the name of Nicodemus in John chapter 3 and verse 3, and he said, uh, answered to him and said, most assuredly I say, unless one is born again, he cannot even see the kingdom of God. And then Romans 14, 17, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. And then he said it's three things. He said it's righteousness, You see, you really aren't a great participant in the kingdom of God if your life is not characterized by righteousness. If you embrace sin, if you embrace rebellion, if you embrace anything in your life other than Jesus, righteousness does not prevail. And then secondly, it says it's also peace. And then it's joy in the Holy Spirit. What didn't come out in the interview with Ryan Page on the X Factor was her personal faith in Jesus Christ. In separate interviews, you can hear her talk about that relationship with God and how that centers her, and then it all makes sense. It's not just about an enthusiastic person who's figured out how to overcome difficulty. It's someone who's done that indeed, but someone also who centered themselves in Jesus Christ and found righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit of God. There's also a principle of personal thirst, There's something in us that just says, I've got to go drink, and we've got to drink from the right source. In between college, I worked construction and pouring concrete, and and one day I went out to the truck, and I got some water, and we all got water off this truck because we were thirsty. I went away to college that fall, and I was tired, 
bored out of my mind. I would fall asleep in class. I thought, why would anyone do this to themselves? This doesn't even make sense. And I started losing weight, and I thought, what's something's wrong here? And I went to the doctor, and sure enough, everybody on that construction crew who drank from that water got mono. I didn't even get it from kissing. <laughs> what a disappointment. I had to drink from a water bottle to get it. And in the next six days, I lost 26 pounds, most effective weight loss principle I've ever seen in my life. They ought to bottle that on TV. You want to lose weight? Get mono. I was thirsty and I drank, but I drank from the wrong thing. And I believe some of us are drinking from the wrong source. And it's drying you up inside. It's literally taking away from you your life. God wants us to go back to the right source. Jesus said, with men, some things are impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And I think what's happened is we become satisfied with the possible. What I can get, what I can earn, what I can do, where I can go, all those things just kind of make sense. And, you know, if I'm a smart guy, a capable guy, a talented guy, a hard worker, all those connected person, then all these things work together for the good. And God says, no, that's not how it works. It's what we know and what we have come to expect is the possible, and therefore we live in that world. But God calls us to, to thirst for the impossible, for the unexpected. God wants to invade your world with his power, to take over, to unleash in you your kingdom assignment. God wants to utterly amaze you with his power and with his presence, and we invite the presence of God here in this place. When you are really thirsty, you will drink. And when you really drink from that well, you will be satisfied. Some other things we've learned in this journey is there's, a, there's some cultural keys that we believe God is using in our, in our behalf. And one of them is partnership with cities is a cultural key to advance the kingdom of God. And whether we're participating in, in a relay for life or whether we're, we've joined hands with a city on a, on, a, on a firecracker run or a Plymouth Day run or any of those other kind of events and now partnering with the city in matters of human trafficking, they've invited us into their world. Help us, they said. It's a cultural key, and I believe God is going to rescue kids. I believe God is going to take people and put them in homes, and we're going to see adoption coming. I believe we're going to see marvelous things happen because we have a heart for humanity. We've partnered with a city who's been outside of the spiritual realm. They've tried to function separately, and guess what? It's not working. And the church has tried to separate itself from the city, and it's tried to work, and it's not working. It just is a regathering of holy people trying to be holier, and yet they're missing out on what God is doing in their world, and their hearts have not been broken for what the tragedy is. Do you realize that, that we live in a world that is so broken that the only hope and the only help is Jesus Christ? We also believe the marketplace is a key to our existence. It was never a strategic plan. I had no strategic plan when we started. My plan was, I'm going to try to show up next week and hopefully somebody will be there. That was my strategic plan. 
But I, as I look back, I see what God was doing. He put us in the middle of a, of a middle school called El Rancho Charter School where we were in the marketplace and we rubbed shoulders with people that didn't go to our fellowship all the time and those people were affected by that. And then we came here to Edwards Theater and we rubbed shoulders every week with people who just want to see a movie and get popcorn. But we're there. And then I, I realize as I look back, we're at the post office where 1.5 car every minute comes through that post office and they see Influence Church and that cross is getting ready to go up this week in front of the post office to God be the glory. Great things he has done. Amen. I love, the, uh, I love the words of George McLeod. He said this, I simply say the cross must be raised again at the center of the marketplace as well as the steeple of the church. I'm claiming that Jesus was not crucified in a cathedral between two candles, but on a cross between two thieves. On the town garbage heap at the crossroads so cosmopolitan that they had to write his title in Hebrew, in Latin, and in Greek at the kind of place where cynics talk smut and thieves curse and soldiers gamble because that is where he died and that is what he died about and that is where churchmen ought to be and what churchmen ought to be about. Amen? Quit being offended by people who don't know God. It was of those people Jesus said, I died and I love. While we were enemies, it says in Romans chapter 5, he loved us. While we were at enmity with God, he loved us, and he demonstrated his love for us when he died on the cross and gave us grace and peace and joy. There's also this principle of a divine breakthrough. As they heard these words, Peter offered up and said to, to Jesus, well, you know, I've left everything. Can I go? I want to go. And Jesus said, you know, many who will be first will be last, the last will be first. And he was teaching them something about a breakthrough in their life. You see, when we act in faith, I mean bold and courageous faith, God will act. Act and God will act. It's a principle in Scripture. Act and God will act. Don't act. Wait. You know, I'm waiting on God. We got a misconception of what that means. We think it's sitting around, reading some devotional and praying, and God's just going to show up in some euphoric moment and just go, here it is. You ever been to a restaurant? You ever had a waiter? You had a good waiter and a bad waiter. Good waiter is what? Always there. What do you need? What do you need? What do you need? Let me serve. Let me serve. Let me serve. Let me serve. That's a good waiter. Bad waiter's back there doing what? I don't know. I was in a restaurant the other day. There was like three people in it. There was like 10 waiters, and I couldn't get a water. I'm thinking, this is a bad waiter. I said to Tammy, I'm not even going to tip this guy. Oh, you have to tip him. Okay, I'll tip him. Give him a dime. That's what I'll give him. I'll give him a dime. You can't give him a dime. Okay, I'll give him a quarter. I don't like this guy. I want water. Wonder if God ever does that. You're waiting on me. You're sitting down there twiddling your thumbs like the waiter in the back who's talking with his buddies. God says, get up, get moving, serve me, love me, show that you're interested in kingdom stuff. That's waiting on God. That's being about your father's business. 
That's about showing that you have faith that produces works in your life. For we are created in Christ Jesus for good works that we might walk in them. We are his workmanship. Don't be afraid to step out of the boat when the storms of life come. What we do is we, storms come, difficulties come, and we kind of huddle ourselves and go, oh no, we got to ride it out. Bail some water. Amen? Get busy. You see, when storms come, it's the best time to see the hand of God. You don't need to be, you don't need to be bold in faith when all is well. All is well, everything's good. I got all the money I need, all the health I need, all the friends I need, the job's great, everything's great. You know, you think people are really walking deep with God in those situations? Why do you think God allows disruptions in your life? He wants to teach you about the kingdom. You see, you need it when things are desperate. So act, and God will act. Live our life in such a way that unless God does a miracle, we are sunk. How do you like that? I got to admit, I, I got really comfortable over the last, you know, six to nine months having a lot of money in the bank, and I was sitting with our finance committee, and I said, I just hate to spend this money. And Anthony said, well, you know, we do have a building to show for it. I go, oh, yeah. Forget about that. But I realized my heart had gotten secure with money in the bank and how dangerous that was for the kingdom. And it's not that we spend it just to spend it. It's just that we have a purpose in mind. You see, the kingdom of God works differently than this earthly kingdom. The front lines where Satan unleashes his fiery dart is really the safest place on earth. That's where it's safe. Courage and faith, tenacity, they create kingdom warriors. People that look fear in the eye and say, God is with me. God will do great things in me and through me, and I will not bow down to anything that looks like fear. We'll face any obstacle knowing that God is faithful. Breakthroughs can only occur when you're stuck, out of options, and ready to give up. Any of you there? If we had a show of hands, I'll bet you a third of you would raise your hand, another third would want to, and the other third said, it's probably coming. Stuck, out of options, ready to give up. That's when you need a breakthrough. You really want a breakthrough. Think about it like this. Do I really want a breakthrough, and what's it look like? You see, when they occur, everything changes in your life. Breakthrough in your life sometimes is not that easy. Jesus described what it meant to have a breakthrough. He said, you know, guys, you're probably not going to have a place to lay your head, and people are not going to like you, and they're going to be at enmity against you. And, but good, good news, in, in the middle of persecutions, you're going to have eternal life. I don't know, that's a hard sell. You know what I mean? Really, Jesus, can we do something different with that one? When a breakthrough comes, it means you break out of your old way of living. What needs to break, what do you need to break out of in order to find a breakthrough? What sin do you hold on to? What are you holding on to right now? I remember when I first came to faith in Christ, the pastor I had, it seems like when he would look at me for just one second, it felt like 10 minutes. Have you ever had that experience? You know, and I knew he wasn't God, and I knew he was human and had a lot of mistakes, but there was something that just personalized it. And when he would look at me like that, I'm thinking, look somewhere else. Don't look at me anymore. But you know what it did? 
it was like a razor to my conscience. And I said, I got to change something. I got to do something different here. You see, what if you get a breakthrough and don't like it? Hmm. What if it messes up your life? Really, there, there are 12 kind of common guys that follow Jesus, and all their life really kind of got messed up in terms of they didn't do what they always did. They did something different, but they had a kingdom initiative, and, and somehow that makes a difference. The kingdom of God is different from the kingdom of this world. Let me tell you how it's different. It's different in its promises. This world promises you some things, and sometimes it actually provides it, doesn't it? If I work hard, if I'm good at what I do, I'll get a paycheck. That's a promise of this world. It's also different in its power. The Bible says great men exercise authority over others, but in the kingdom it shall not be so among you, because he would be great would be servant of all. You see, if you don't have the heart of a servant, you'll never understand Jesus who is servant of all. It's also different in its pleasures. There are pleasures in this world. That this human trafficking conference, realizing that here we're talking about human trafficking and it really what drives it all, a billion-dollar industry, what drives all this human trafficking is pure money and sex. It's all that drives it. And the world says these are pleasures you can have if you want them. You want money, you want sex, you can have these things. It's also different in its possessions. We think ourselves successful because we have a, a, a fine home or a car and we have money in the bank and, 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 and God does not frown on that. That's fine. When you trust in it, when you rely on it, when you have a camel, you're in trouble. But the possessions are different. But the perspective is different too. You see, when you have a kingdom initiative, when your kingdom's a part of you, you look at life differently. You don't think about how fast I can move forward. In what I do. You think about how is the kingdom going to be impacted. There's a song we sing called Jesus Paid It All. We're going to sing that together. The band's going to come and lead us in that. But as you sing that song, I want, you to, I want to ask you this. He paid it all for you. Why did he do that? He did that because he wanted you to be truly extraordinary people. He wanted you to be different. He wanted you to have an outlook on life and a wholeness of life that was different. And only he can promise that. So he didn't just pay it so you could go to heaven. He paid it so you could truly be extraordinary people, overcoming your obstacles in the power of Almighty God. Stand with me as we pray, and then we're going to sing this song together. Father, as we pray and as we, as we examine our own heart, God, there are just some laser points that you've brought by your Spirit into our heart. And we know there's some things we've got to give up. There's some things we possess, some things we trust, some camels, God, that we've got to unload and get down on the knees if we're going to get through this kingdom door.